0: Hi everyone, welcome to Sandy K Nutrition Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have Dr. Debbie Rice, and she is the Director of Clinical Education at Precision Analytical, the makers of, and creators of, I should say, The Dutch Test. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but I'm now going to be 53 in January. I've been doing the Dutch Test since I think I was around 45. When I started doing it, it is the best hormone panel you can do as a woman in perimenopause or menopause, or even as a younger woman, if you're wondering what's happening with your hormones, or even as a man, if you want to see accurate free testosterone, or if you're a guy and you are dealing with estrogen dominance, which happens. Guys, it happens. This is the test for you. I'm not going to talk any more about it just because that's what Dr. Debbie Rice is here for, and I am doing a series this week and next week all on women's hormones. Why? Because women tend to go a little crazy over the holidays. There's a lot of expectations and it seems to fall a lot on our shoulders and stress is a major factor. So I'm hoping you're going to listen to these episodes and just really figure out how to mitigate the effects of stress on your body so it doesn't wreak havoc on your hormones because stress does affect our hormones. So a big announcement is that I am now a certified metabolic balance coach. Yes, I am. I always said I wouldn't do diets and I would call this and this this seems to be like a phrase now. This isn't a diet. It is a lifestyle, which is true. It is true, you guys. And the reason I say that is because I don't care if you're the 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 best dietitian in the world, or the most incredible holistic nutritionist in the world, you still have to be careful with what you put in the body. I have always eaten clean ever since. mm, I'm going to say ever since I learned about eating clean. I think I first started with a paleo diet in my early 40s. So I've been eating clean for a long time, but that doesn't mean that my weight can't get away from me. And I am now for sure kind of going through menopause. And I noticed a big change. I noticed my waist getting bigger. These are all factors that can indicate issues down the road. Now, in metabolic, we do not cure, diagnose, heal disease. However, metabolic balance does address those issues that can relate to metabolic syndrome, which down the road can relate to type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, risk of stroke, all of these things relating to heart disease and Mm. glucose metabolism. And so if you are finding that you're just not able to figure out a way in which you can lose that fat that's around your waist or you feel like oh my gosh my triglycerides are going up these are not good markers or let's say you go and you get a glucose test and you see that your glucose is high although i think insulin fasting insulin is much better anyway i'm not here to comment on your blood work however however I will say that there are specific markers you can look at. It's not only weight gain. I've been on metabolic balance for three weeks now, and I've noticed an overall reduction in fat. Okay, I've noticed an increase in my muscle, which is incredible. But I do work out with a personal trainer. However, I have kind of changed the way I've eaten. I have lost quite a bit of weight not going to tell you what that is. That's my own business. That's my biz. But my biz is also to help you achieve the same and head right into menopause and through menopause and past menopause in a healthy state. So if you want to be part of my first group in metabolic balance, I have been a holistic nutritionist for some some years now. But I am doing an introductory group program for metabolic balance. And this will be at an an (laughs) introductory rate. And I will also include a coaching on therapeutic grade supplements, on longevity, on biohacking, on things that you just don't get really anywhere else. I'm going to say I'm pretty special, you guys. If you want in email me sandy at sandyknutrition.ca. I don't have a lot of spots. If this is for you, definitely send me an email that you're interested because blood work is involved. You have to get blood work in order to do metabolic balance. The other thing, if you love this episode, please, please share it. Share it with anybody who might benefit. It goes a long way, you guys, and rate, review, and subscribe with a few kind words. And with that, let's cut on through to this interview with Dr. Debbie Rice of Precision Analytical, and let's break down this amazing Dutch test. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I am so excited to speak with Dr. Debbie Rice. She is the Director of Clinical Education at Precision Analytical, the developers of the Dutch Test. And everyone who listens knows I talk about the Dutch Test constantly. Dr. Rice is a naturopathic doctor who maintains practice where she focuses on pediatric health, hormone health, thyroid health, and adrenal health. She has had experience working with communities in need, Both in the United States and internationally, her training has been primarily in women's health, pediatric care, hormone therapy, and hormone function, as well as complementary adjunct care. Dr. Rice utilizes multiple modalities, including diet and lifestyle, botanical medicine, and conventional approaches that meet the patient where they are at in their health journey. And Dr. Rice's passions include activism for access to healthcare, yoga, and exploring nature. Welcome, Dr. Rice.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yes, I'm happy that you are here because, as I said, I talk about the Dutch test all the time. I've been doing it for over seven years, and I am just... I honestly believe this is, you know truly from my heart that had i not been doing it all these years i could have had some other issues with my health other than thyroid health mm. so you know we'll we'll get into all of that today but you know tell me your story tell me how you became a naturopath doctor and yeah. you know your passions
1: yeah so I've wanted to be a doctor since I was a little girl. I wanted to be a doctor or a teacher. And there's this beautiful part of naturopathic medicine that one of our tenants is doctor as teacher, um, which I love. Um, But part of that was, you know, I didn't know what naturopathic medicine was. I didn't know it existed. I was on the road to go to conventional medical school. And um, in all of that, I was like, well you know, I, I want to do the doctor thing, but I also want to do nutrition and I want to do, you know, personal training and, you know, like all of the lifestyle things that go with that. And um, I, I, it was the summer that I was studying for MCATs and one of my girlfriends called me and she was like, I found it. And I was like, what did you find? And she was like, I found naturopathic medicine. And I was like, I don't know what it went. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she explained what naturopathic medicine was. And I was like, that's like everything I want to do, but in one job, like I don't have to do three different jobs. And she was like, exactly. Um, so I ended up, you know, checking out what is naturopathic medicine? What are the schools? What is the life? Like all of that stuff. Um, and part of that, that kind of continued to fuel that for me was I ended up having some significant health issues when I was 17, 18, um, ended up doing a lot of research on my own, you know, being my own advocate. And in that, you know, when you go through certain personal struggles like that, you realize like, oh, you know, this is where maybe the system could be supported better. Maybe the patient could be supported better. You know, like, oh, actually, you know, all the things you put in your body do make a difference. Mm -hmm. All the things that you put on your body do make a difference. I remember in naturopathic medicine, I think this was my first or second year One of my friends, I was slathering on some Victoria's Secret lotion and she was like, What are you doing? And I was like, This is my favorite smell. And she was like, Do you know what's in that? And I remember thinking, No. Yeah. No. Like, I don't. I just, it just smells good. And she was like, Debbie, you need to throw that in the trash. And she's like going through the ingredients. And I was like, Oh, like, this is part of why I'm here, right? Like, this is part of, oh, yeah, right? Like, that's what I need to learn about. And that's, you know, just having that acknowledgement and recognition of like, Oh, right. Like it's not just the food you put in your body, but it's all the stuff you put on your body yes. too. Yes. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think we're somewhat aligned and not somewhat. We are aligned in that just because way before, way, way before, you know, now we have so many options and really back then <laughs> I remember I had my daughter, she was a baby, she had eczema, she had, you know, all these issues. But, you know, this is way back, long time ago, and there was nothing there, like, to find natural products. So I was ordering from Melaleuca back then. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Wow, yeah. Yes. Yes. I
0: mean, this goes back, right? She, you know, I had her when I was 35, and I'm 52 now. So you know, even back then I was searching and searching for something more natural yeah. because I knew innately this doesn't seem right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even realizing, right. Like my grandmothers had these like awesome home remedies that I like looking back on, I was like, those are all the things that I've also learned about. Yes. <laughs> it's just, like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, she used to do that. She used to do this. You know, it's just its really interesting how it just kind of comes full. Yes.
0: Part. Yeah. 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 I, I fully agree with you. You know, I have uh, grandparents way back from uh, old Eastern European ways and they farmed and, you know, everything. And yep. I'm like, things are going back that way. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get in. To the Dutch test, because that's why yeah. we're here. We're here to talk about why it's different. And the biggest question I get from everyone is, what's the difference? Why yeah. would yeah. I go and spend X amount of money on doing a Dutch test when I can go? And here in Canada, you go and you get your blood work done for free, right? I so yeah. I we need to really nail this down. What's the difference between yeah. blood versus urine versus saliva?
1: Yeah. So, and these are great questions, right? Because there there is nothing wrong with doing a blood test to right. see what your estrogen levels are. Right. It's a great way to see. Hey, I just want to know what my estradiol level is. Great. We can do a blood draw, figure that out. We can do that same thing for your progesterone same thing for your testosterone. And then blood testing are also called serum testing. When you're looking at testosterone and looking at the complete picture, you're looking at a total and a free testosterone, right? You want to know what the body's making and what is being used of what it's making. Um, So if you want a quick hit on what your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone levels are, you could certainly do a blood draw um, where the Dutch test comes in to offer more information is it's more expansive or more comprehensive because it does give you how much estrogen is there, how much estradiol is there. Cause that's usually what's tested in blood. It tells you your progesterone, it tells you your testosterone, but what it does is it kind of further opens up that, um, I call it almost like looking under the hood of the car, right? Like you have this beautiful car you can see that it's a, I don't know, red Mustang. It's beautiful. So, you know, it's a red Mustang, but if you want to know really what makes that work and how well it's working, you're going to flip the hood, right? That's what a Dutch test is. Mm. So in that you get more detail on how much estrogen is being made and you get the idea of not just your estradiol, but there are three estrogens primarily that we look at, your E1, your E2, and your E3. That all shows up on the Dutch test. We want to know, right? Like, are you making a lot of the estradiol? Are you making a little bit of it? How does that convert with your E1 and your E3? So it gives us a little bit of idea of how your body's metabolizing your estrogen and then what your body does with that estrogen. So once you make all of this estrogen, right? Like here's your E1, E2, E3. And then where does it go? what does it do? Does it make good estrogen? Does it make bad estrogen? How does the liver manage your estrogen? And the reason why that's important is because let's say we do a blood draw, we get your progesterone, we get your estrogen and we can see like, okay, maybe this should be better balanced or maybe this looks good. But what we don't know is if we look further into that estrogen picture, if we're looking at your phase one metabolism, so on the Dutch test we get a phase one metabolism of your estrogens and we get a phase two Mm -hmm. of your estrogen. So that's in the liver. We can see all of that in urine, which is great. Um, If you end up having a sluggish phase one metabolism, that means that it's not working as quickly or efficiently as it could through phase one. And a lot of times that means that there's going to be a little bit of congestion or backup of that estrogen. So you end up having these estrogens hanging around a little bit longer. Right. And that can also contribute to symptoms of higher estrogen. Right. And so it's not just about your estradiol, right? Like, yes, that's helpful, but additionally helpful is going to be, so is that estradiol going where it needs to go so it can do what it needs to do in a healthy manner? Or are we getting some backup there that's not allowing that estradiol to do what it needs to do appropriately? And so that's not just in your phase one, it's also in your phase two. So we can see, right? Like if you have a double whammy, which I call, you know, like your phase one is not doing too great and your phase two is not doing too great. Not only do you have maybe lots of estradiol, you still have it hanging around here in phase one. You still have it hanging around here in phase two. And so your body ends up still having this higher estrogen and load that you may not be able to see and likely won't be able to see when you're looking at just the blood draw um, of your estradiol.
0: Right, okay, yeah, let's, because a big part of the reason why I started doing the Dutch test was to see why do I have such major PMS? Mm. Why do I have such horrible bloating? So this was in my 40s horrible bloating, breast tenderness, all these different things. And then I found out that I was going down the danger path, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I have an aunt who died of uterine cancer. I actually have two. One is an aunt, one is a great aunt. So there are some familial things going on, Risk factors, right? Yeah. Risk factors. But let's dive into... Okay, first off, I want to clarify this. When we do serum or blood, why does it always look like your estrogen's, oh, your estrogen's fine. Oh, your, your, your progesterone's fine. But then you look at the Dutch and you're like, oh, wait a minute, it's not so fine.
1: So there, there may be different layers to that. One of the things that I will say is the testing can also influence these levels too. So when we're doing... Blood testing, we want these to be mass spec, which means like we call this a GCMS. Um, when you're doing an immunoassay in blood, um, one of my friends described this as like when you're doing an immunoassay with hormones, it's like throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks in this area. Is that right? what? Like, doc- oh, you're in this area, okay?
0: So, is that what doctors normally do if you're like just normally going to get a blood draw? Is- is that what they normally do at
1: labs? Like, I don't even it know. It depends. Oh, okay. yeah, it depends. So it depends on which lab is being used for the blood draw. So if it's an immunoassay, it's not going to be very specific. Okay. Um, meaning, we're not getting a good representation of what that estrogen or testosterone could look like. So you want mass spec when you're doing blood draws. Now, if you're doing mass spec and, you know, say that your estradiol looks good in blood and then you do a Dutch test and it doesn't look good. It's because of that layered effect, right? So it should correlate generally well with our estradiol, but the estrogen effect of what you're feeling is also going to be shown in that phase one and phase two metabolism.
0: Right. So if
1: you end up having an estradiol that's within range, but say you're pushing all of that estradiol down the knotty pathway you're going to feel a heavier burden of that estrogen than the person who is pushing it down the preferred pathway, yes. um, for detoxification. Right. So there's, it's, again, it's just that deeper kind of like peeling the layers back on that estrogen production and metabolism.
0: Okay. And then also timing, right? Like you want to make sure that's yes. done on day 19, I think it is of your cycle. 19,
1: 20, 21 little bit of a range in there. Yeah. For your typical 28 day cycle. Right. Yep. Okay. Yes. So that's going to be the, the golden range to be able to see, because what we're looking for really in doing this hormone testing, we're trying to see not just where the estrogen is, but also how well the progesterone is answering to your estrogen, right? So what's the balance between your estrogen and progesterone? Because that's the bigger thing that we're looking for yes. in hormone testing, yes. right? Like if you do estrogen on its own, I mean sure, that could be helpful. But it's going to be more additionally helpful if we can see what that estrogen and progesterone are doing together. Like what's that balance?
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about that cuz that's a, a massive factor in all of this. Even if you are in menopause, if you're doing bioidentical hormones, you you know, I know of individuals who Bio, or not even, I don't think they were bioidentical. I think they might have just been hormone, just HRT, hormone replacement. And yeah. if that balance isn't right for you, you could have a lot of issues because estrogen and progesterone must play well
1: together. So, yes. do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, there's, and it's interesting because you can have normal levels of estrogen, right? Like we may do your levels and your estrogens look fantastic, but if your progesterone is not responding, you are going to be progesterone deficient, which can lead to estrogen dominance. And it's not because your body's doing anything crazy with estrogen, like it's doing what it's supposed to do with estrogen, but the body's not responding as well as it should with progesterone. You can have the other scenario where you have decent progesterone, but your estrogen is just going wild. So that will also look as like an estrogen dominant picture. And we think of estrogen dominance, it's like you know, PMS mood swings, breast tenderness, heavy periods, clotty periods, irregular periods. Um those are the those are the big sleep hot flashes
0: that deal. Yes, yeah.
1: Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because this one woman may be like, oh, you know, hot flashes aren't a thing for me, but I'm super depressed, you know, or it could, you know, it just depends on how this shows up in different people. But that's where the estrogen dominance can be a big thing. The progesterone deficiency can be a big thing when we're evaluating what's happening yeah. with what your hormones are doing.
0: Yeah. And just for anybody who's listening, I'd love to say, Progesterone is usually it's it's really that chill out helps you sleep. It's like that non anxious hormone,
1: right? I call her the soothing mama hormone. Yeah, she comes in and is like, "It'll be okay. Yeah. Like, we don't have to freak <laughs> out anymore." I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I love that because um I know I had an issue with that just being completely non-existent in my 40s like it was too low so yeah just like what you said not only were the estrogens going down the naughty pathway but i also had not enough progesterone and in my 40s quite frankly and i'm gonna just do one little uh disclaimer here whatever we talk about is not medical advice at all this is just for informational purposes go see your own practitioner on what is Right for you. I just want to stop right there because if I'm talking about some stuff, don't go out and say, Oh, I'm going to go and get that. Or if, you know, just see your practitioner. This is not medical advice. But what I will say now, back to that, was Chase Tree really helped me in my 40s, but then it wasn't enough once I reached around 48. It just wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. Right. So there are things that can be done, but, you know, I guess really you know, we should first talk about the test, which is the important part. And then we can talk about possible solutions that you can take to your own practitioner. So,
1: um,
0: you know, I know that metabolites are huge as it relates to the Dutch test. So what what is a metabolite? What does it mean? And why do we care?
1: Yeah. It's a great question because when you hear all these words like estrogen and estrogen metabolites, um, when you hear the word metabolites, I want you to think about metabolism, right? So if we're talking about estrogen metabolites, it's the metabolism or like going into end products of estrogen. So you have the beginning product, which is your estradiol, and then it has to do something. It has to go somewhere in the body. And so that end product is going to be a metabolite. So it's really the end product of metabolism. So if we're talking about progesterone, progesterone metabolites, the end products of progesterone, same thing with the androgens, which are going to be like your testosterone and your DHEA, right? Like once you have your testosterone and DHEA, then metabolize into these end product metabolites. So they're kind of like the follow, follow the roadmap to see where estrogen goes and then what does that mean so those levels of metabolites give us good information into what that estrogen is doing what that progesterone is doing what that testosterone is doing
0: perfect that's a great explanation so is is this even a thing because i've heard this about bound versus unbound hormones in yes.
1: serum versus so can you talk about that a little bit yeah. So there is, so we, we do have to have what I call babysitters that take our hormones, you know, from one place to the other to make them available. And there is a difference between bound and unbound or available hormone. And so, and I think this is where like saliva caught a lot of momentum is like saliva is the unbound hormone, right? So that's the bioavailable or the free hormone. Yeah. Um, in a serum, it can be a little confusing because we're looking at certain things that may be bound, certain things that are not bound, right? Like when we're doing testosterone, that's why it's important to look at free and total testosterone because there's bound and unbound. Um, Another big player is cortisol, right? So in blood, cortisol is usually bound, where in saliva or urine, it is unbound. It's the free, it's yes. what's available to the body. So there is a difference between, you know, what the babysitter's holding on to, trying to get it where it's going to go versus what is active and available to act on your estrogen receptors, right? Like your estrogen can't do anything until it is activated, right? So that's what we're looking at. Like if you're bound, you're not active. When you're free, that's when estrogen can do its thing with the receptors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love how you like explain that. that. Yes. That's a great way to explain it. And that might also be a reason why the blood work is different than the urine, right? Yeah. It's or, interesting because yeah.
1: A lot, yeah, some of the testing uh, modalities can influence that. The other thing, so in looking at this, we generally see good correlation between blood testing and that's testing for estrogen unless they're, um, well, The other thing that I always try to make sure of is if you're doing a Dutch test on a certain day that you would do the estrogen blood draw the same day because you can have significant variances within 24 hours, depending on where you're at in your cycle. So that can be a a thing too, right? timing of testing. Um, The other thing is if you're doing hormone therapy, right? Like if you're using creams, I feel like um, creams can have the way that the body grabs onto that cream and pulls it into the bloodstream can be quite variable. And so in a blood draw that's taken at that exact moment versus a Dutch test that's collected over a 12 to 24 hour period, you may see some differences in that too. So there are some things that could complicate when you're doing that kind of comparison.
0: Okay. Since, since you mentioned it, so a uh-huh. lot of people do take HRT or BHRT mm-hmm. how, and, and I think from what I recall, if you're doing, let's say, uh, progesterone cream, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily reflect on the Dutch test, does it?
1: So it's it's interesting. There are... The one thing about progesterone, like progesterone itself is what we call a lipophilic molecule, which means it likes fat. So it likes fatty tissue. Um, when you use a progesterone cream, depending on where you put it on your body, right? Like if you put it on your wrist, it has a, a quicker delivery system to get into the bloodstream, right? Like You can see your blood vessels on your yes. wrist. But if you're putting it like on breast tissue, if you're putting it in like on your thighs, like the upper thighs, there's a lot more fat tissue there that doesn't have the same kind of blood flow. And so the progesterone can kind of hang out there and not totally be used. So you may not be getting the full dose of progesterone that you're using. So location is a big part about progesterone. On the Dutch test, what we see is cream may be slightly underrepresented just because of some of that, like translation of how that progesterone can get into the bloodstream.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Not grossly,
1: just slightly.
0: Yeah. And then some people take progesterone capsules. So that would mm-hmm. definitely reflect more because, like, I had to move from the cream to the capsules. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that would definitely reflect more.
1: Yes. And the reason for that is whenever you put anything in your mouth, it has to go through your liver for processing. We call this first pass metabolism. And especially because it's a urine test, we're going to get a lot of those, um, progesterone metabolites dumped into the urine just because of how the body processes it, um, The I will say when supplementing with progesterone, it's going to be tricky whether you are doing a Dutch test, a saliva test, or a blood test Mm -hmm. just because of the way that the body metabolizes it, either oral or as a cream. So, I like to put that out there like, progesterone is the one, like, oh, that was a little tricky when supplemented. Now, when if you're not supplementing, even you know, blood is a good. It's a good opportunity. Saliva can be, depending on what their testing method is. And Dutch is a great option for that too.
0: Okay. All right. Let's get into what it actually shows. So cortisol, that's a biggie because,
1: yeah, uh, Yeah.
0: yeah. like let's, let's talk about why it's so amazing to measure cortisol (laughs) this way.
1: Yeah. So they're the one I don't want to say the one. One of the major things that sets Dutch apart is you do get your free cortisol curve. And when we talk about a free cortisol curve, we're talking about what your cortisol does in a day, right? So cortisol is your daytime hormone. It's supposed to get you up and ready for the day. So we're generally going to see this rise in cortisol and then it calms down so you can sleep at night. So the the cortisol curve is a lot of like, when we think about cortisol testing, especially in functional medicine, we think of that daily cortisol curve also called the diurnal pattern or cortisol pattern yeah now
0: go ahead no I I I, I'm gonna ask you then because it gets so confusing because there's cortisone and then there's cortisol and I I know the pattern yeah I know so maybe you know it's okay to dig a little deeper on the cortisol it's because it can be a bit complicated
1: It's it's complex. And when we think about our stress response, I, I don't want to minimize it because it is a complex response, right? It is a brain response, right? Because the brain is what signals to our adrenal glands what to do. Yeah. And so um, on the Dutch test, we have what's called a free cortisol pattern, right? So again, that's that's what's free and available for your body to use. We also have a free cortisone pattern. And there comes that question of like, What's it Okay, is? what am I looking at here? Yeah. And the cortisol is the active form. Cortisone is the inactive form. So the body has to use a gas and break, right? Like of, of what it gives you to deal with your stressors for the day. And the way that our I mean, our bodies are very much creatures of habit, especially when we're talking about hormonal responses and our stress response. If we have generally a, a fairly predictable day-to-day pattern your adrenal glands are going to kind of set up for that, right? Like if they, you know, like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be our 1030 meeting. That's super stressful. We're going to yeah. have the cortisol ready for that. Um, or however that looks right. So the body has to have that gas and brake to be able to utilize or activate that cortisol as needed.
0: I hope you're all enjoying this week's episode as much as I love bringing it to you every single week. If you've been following me for a while, you all know I'm a huge fan of supplementing with amino acids. Now, what are amino acids? Simply put, they are the building blocks to protein. Now, you might say, oh, I eat plenty of protein. But are you aware of how well you're actually digesting and assimilating that protein so it properly breaks down into those all-important amino acids? As a functional nutritionist, I see a lot of people who start to experience low stomach acid. And guess what we all need to break down those proteins efficiently? Right. We need stomach acid. We also experience a natural decline in muscle mass as we age. That can be due to many factors, including declining hormones, we actually need those important amino acids for many other functions in the body including our cardiovascular health. I've been supplementing with amino co life. This specific blend of amino acids are so important to maintain muscle mass, maintain heart health and increase our longevity as we age. And you know that that's really important to me. And it's never just about lifespan. It's also about healthspan. Because I don't know about you, but I want to age really well. So here's what I have for all of my listeners. I have an exclusive discount of 30% off to try AminoCo's Life for yourself. So all you have to do, is go to aminoco.com forward slash SKN, as in Sandy K Nutrition, and you will get 30% off. And I will have this info in my show notes. And now back to the show.
1: If you have, again, a fairly repetitious pattern, like day-to-day, week-to-week, you are going to have that well-reflected in a Dutch test. Now, if you are all over the place and every day is very different for you, you're likely going to have a little bit of a different, like if you test on a Monday and then you test on a Thursday, they might look different based on the stressors for that day. Mm. But in general, if you have a fairly routine schedule, it's going to be very representative of how your body's responding to stress, what that stress response looks like. The other component of the Dutch test is metabolized cortisol. So this is your total cortisol production. Different Than your free cortisol. And in layman's terms, when we look at this, this is essentially how much cortisol can your body produce in a 12 to 24 hour period? That's going to be your metabolized cortisol where the free cortisol is going to be. What does your body do with that cortisol? What is free and available for it to use? I, I kind of create the analogy of like the metabolized cortisol is your bucket of cortisol to use where your free cortisol is the ladle that pulls from that cortisol bucket Mm. to use. And so that's where we can get a, I think as a provider, it helps to offer more comprehensiveness to treatment, right? Like if, if you're not producing a lot of cortisol, that's a problem. If you're producing sufficient cortisol, um, it gives me a different lens, you know, when I'm looking at how the production capacity is versus the use capacity, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. It does. And then it can also signify kind of the stages on where someone's at in their stress, right? Because there are individuals I remember, for me, there was a point in time where I had nothing, I was like, yeah. not completely flatline, but I was pretty close because <laughs> I think real. if you're flatline, you're pretty much dead. <laughs> like you need cortisol to live, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or or you'd have to be taking drugs in order to live. Right. So you need yeah. cortisol. Absolutely. But I was yeah. very low. Um, and then there are individuals who are like up here all the time. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: So it's a very important measurement that you cannot get from one simple blood draw, period. You just can't get it.
1: No. I mean, even if you were to draw, and I will say, like, usually when you do blood work, it's the bound cortisol. But if you were to specifically ask for a free cortisol, that would give you one point in time. Yeah. But it does not give you the daily pattern. And that's really going to be the more helpful information, right? Because maybe you're in range in the morning, but you may be all sorts of wonked out the rest of the day. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. so that's what we want to, you know, that's what we're trying to evaluate is not only can you make cortisol, what do you do with it yeah. when you make it?
0: It's a beautiful test. I absolutely love it because even still, you know, you see some women who um they can't get out of bed in the morning, right? And cortisol yeah. is really what gets your butt out of bed it does so you need that
1: right and there's research that shows you know that cortisol awakening response right so how your cortisol helps you get up for the day can really be a factor when we look at pain autoimmunity immunity in general mood right so your cortisol is is a big part of that
0: yes yeah it's huge so next, let's go with next on the list. Let's cuz there's yeah. a few. There's also um so can you explain what androgen hormones are for people who yeah. are not aware?
1: Yeah, so when you hear the word androgens, I would want you to think of testosterone and DHEA. Now, the unfair part of DHEA is it also kind of plays in the adrenal realm. Um, so it kind of plays into the sex hormones kind of plays into the adrenal realm, but when you hear androgens, those are the hormones that you should think of testosterone and anything that comes downstream from testosterone, DHEA, and the things that come downstream from testosterone. So those metabolites, right? Like what the body's doing with DHEA and testosterone. Okay. A lot of times when we say androgens and we say testosterone or DHEA, it's like, Oh, the male hormones. Yeah. But also females make a lot of um, DHEA. They also make some testosterone. So it's important for both males and females.
0: Absolutely. And I say this all the time. I'm like, ladies, we need testosterone. Like, you know, there's this, there's this belief that women don't have testosterone, but when our testosterone totally tanks at menopause Um, We lose a lot. We lose our desire. We lose our real kind of happiness and our sex drive. There's so much. So it's so important that we kind of keep an eye on what's happening with it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, testosterone, it does not just work in a silo, right? Like when we look at the different hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, as much as testosterone can be part of libido and drive, it's also part of muscle mass. Yeah. It's part of joint lubrication. It's part of sense of well being and like that brain motivation that you have. So it does play a, a big part in that balance, too.
0: Okay. So the Dutch yeah. test will show both DHEA and DHEAS.
1: Yes. Yes. So what's the yeah. difference? Yeah. So, and a lot of times we think of DHEA S is the sulfated form of DHEA and we can test this in the blood. Um, it, it does hang around in circulation a little bit longer so that our body can kind of like grab it if it needs it. Um, DHEA in general is also part of that balancer with cortisol. Mm. So in the adrenal realm it works with cortisol to help soften cortisol if it's too high or support cortisol if it's too low. Mm. So there there is a delicate balance that is played between DHEA and cortisol. But it also contributes to some of that testosterone metabolism. So DHEA does have a part when we're looking at um you know some of the bad things that we think of with androgens, right? Like facial hair acne, baldness, those kinds of things. Um, DHA can also be a part of that.
0: Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And then testosterone, we kind of covered that. But, um, you know, see, I was going to ask something else, but let's maybe let's move on to estrogen. And I'll see if sure. I if I remember what I was going to ask about that. Oh, yeah. Now, here's a really important point. On the Dutch test, you have the little dials that show the ranges. When we do a Dutch test, it's really important to note that, like, I'm 52. You're not going to look at a range for a 45-year-old, right? right? Yeah. So you will look at a 52-year-old range, but with or without bioidentical or HRT, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, one thing to clarify too is if you are taking bioidentical hormones, we'll probably see that on the Dutch test because the Dutch test measures your body's hormone production. And if it's bioidentical, the body doesn't, or the testing doesn't know the difference between right. like what your body's making versus the bioidentical hormone that you're supplementing. Yes. If it's a synthetic hormone, we will see the effect of that hormone. On your body, so I just wanted to clarify that. too.
0: Oh, very good clarification. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, do Do you want to go on to estrogen, or are you? Is there, is we,
1: yeah, we could. Yep.
0: Because estrogen's
1: a biggie. Estrogen's is. a biggie. I mean, and I do want to clarify that as much as estrogen gets a bad rap, like estrogen is also very beautiful. Like yes. So, as much as it's like, oh, estrogen dominance and the bad things about estrogen. There were a lot of good things about estrogen, so I don't want to paint estrogen to be the bad guy.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm you're you're talking to a woman whose estrogens are really starting to go down now. So,
1: I know. Yeah, yeah,
0: and um, you know, I'm I'm not there yet, but I'm also of the thought that you have to be careful with what you're doing. To try and minimize estrogens, meaning yes. things like DIM and sulforaphane, and things like you know, there's there's some things that can happen if you're taking DIM and you're in menopause yeah. that you don't yeah. want to happen. But we can talk about that. So let's we got E1, Absolutely. we got E2, we got E3, right? And yeah, there one of them is more responsible for when we're if we're if we are pregnant or, right? Like maybe get into what each of these three are.
1: Yeah. So E1 or estrone is the one that is most present in menopause because what happens is we convert our estrogen from testosterone. So testosterone is our precursor to make our estrogen. And so we rely on our testosterone to help give us some of that estrogen when we are post-menopausal or we're no longer cycling. Right. So E1 is our most dominant estrogen in menopause. Okay. E2 or estradiol is the most potent form of estrogen out there. And it is usually the highest concentration or amount when you are a cycling female, right? So between the ages of generally 15 and 45. And then E3 or estriol is the weakest estrogen, most prevalent in pregnancy, but also it can be important for um, kind of balancing estradiol sometimes. Um, There are some, I would say some... Some bodies of research would say that estriol or E3 is protective, Mm -hmm. um, but we do know it is the weakest estrogen. Uh, I think a lot of people, when we think of estriol, think of like um, if we have vaginal dryness, uh, estriol is a great option because the vaginal cells just love estriol. It helps make them more lubricated, pump, pumps them up really nicely. And you may not need all of the estradiol power to do that. Some people do, but depending on where you're at and your shifts of estrogen, estriol can be really nice to help uh, lubricate some of those vaginal cells.
0: Yeah. And that, I, I do want to clarify, estriol is estriol, meaning... You know, you can go to um, just your general physician and get estriol, right? Like, like it's not like progestin versus progesterone. Like, there is the bioidentical form, which is progesterone, versus if you go to your general physician and ask for HRT, they will give you the synthetic form of progesterone. Which Probably. is progestin, yeah. right? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. like I mean that's how it is here? I'm not sure about the US if you go to your general it's physician.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's, it's variable. variable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: So people don't really realize that. So I just wanted to mention that. Point. Um yes. because you can get an estriol, which is actually the a bioidentical estrial. form yep. that's estriol. The, the real
1: thing, yeah. You can get that.
0: You can get a patch, or you I think there's gels and there's all kinds of stuff. So I just wanted to clarify that. Now yeah. <clears throat> let's get into so the Dutch test has this beautiful little pie chart that really shows how much of each of those estrogens right? You want to get into that? Yeah. It's great. Yeah.
1: So the pie chart is part of our phase one metabolism. Okay. And when we're looking at phase one metabolism, this is in the liver and there are three main metabolites for estrogen that we look at. There's the two OH, mm-hmm. the four OH and the sixteen OH and in the world of the pie chart we want more of that pie chart to have the 2OH that's the more preferred pathway it's not as dangerous
0: yeah
1: the 4OH is the naughty guy this is the one that can wreak all sorts of havoc on your dna can start to tear things apart make that dna not healthy and not working correctly so that is the most dangerous of those metabolites And then the 16OH is kind of like the in between, right? Like it's not as bad as the 4OH, but it's not as good as the 2OH. What we find with the 16OH is it has a lot of proliferative effect for estrogen, which means if you have or if you're making a lot of 16OH, you can see some proliferation in breast tissue or ovarian tissue, right? So if you have fibrocystic breasts, if you have mm-hmm. ovarian cysts, that could be part of how your body's metabolizing could be um, to 16OH. The counterbalance to that is it's really nice for bone health <laughs> because yeah. it helps to you know, yeah. proliferate some of that bone. But when we're looking at that pie chart, we want most of that pie chart to be that green or that 2OH metabolite. And then we want a little bit of it to be a 16OH and we want even less of that to be the 4OH. And that's what we're trying to portray in that pie chart is we want you to be lots of 2OH, some 16OH, and less 4OH.
0: Yeah. It's just such a great visual indicator to see, okay, you know, I have some work to do. And there and and the thing I want to stress is so at the same time that I had thyroid cancer, I actually had a fibroadenoma in my breast. And they were oh. unsure if, you know, I had to have the, the oh, it's the biopsy that I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, yeah. core, core biopsy. And I had an issue with fibrocystic breasts, right? And so yeah. the Dutch test... Listen, it's not a diagnosis. However, it's a great tool because this was when I was 41. I think I started doing the Dutch test around 44, 45. And that was when I started to get a handle on these issues. But I just love that whole picture that it shows you. And you can't, you don't look at it and go, oh, crap. There's nothing I could do because there's a lot you can do when you're working with the right practitioner, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, yeah. When we think about how our body metabolizes or detoxes, so you'll hear a lot of people talk about estrogen metabolism and estrogen detox. Similar, right? Because the body has to detox, and that means metabolizing through things. So when we're looking at estrogen detoxification. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about estrogen metabolism. And there are many options when it comes to being able to influence how the body is metabolizing your estrogen, whether we're looking at phase one or phase two, but we do need to understand the process, right? Like um, we want to be more helpful than dangerous when it comes to uh, interfacing with our hormones and how our hormones work.
0: A hundred percent, because you know this is where I can talk about taking DIM in my, you know, mm-hmm. early forties and basically wiping away too much estrogen. Right? Yeah. It was just, and so you don't want to. And this is why I I want to stress to anyone listening. I know you can go to your natural health food store and or supplement store and get DIM, but just know what you're doing. It's better yeah. to test. And and work with a practitioner who knows what they're doing versus just going blindly and taking something. Yeah. So, you know, let's get into phase two. Unless there was more you wanted to say about phase one.
1: I will say on the dim comment. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, um, statements about dim. Now dim is generally utilized to help improve phase one metabolism. But in some people, we also see it lower estrogens. And that's where you can see, like, if you're already having low estrogens, doing something like DIM is, is where I would agree with like, right. Like talking to a practitioner. So you know how you're using your supplementation appropriately.
0: Yeah. Like but yeah, finding the right thing that's for you. Like I know for me, sulforaphane is great to help kind of redirect like you were saying or push down a a healthier pathway
1: yeah yeah absolutely and the one thing like when we so i will i will always say this when we read a dutch test we want to read it from top to bottom when we treat a dutch test we want to treat from bottom to top because it's like a filter right like we're actually our end game is to try to clear out phase one and phase two so that's why we want to look at how phase one is working and how phase two is working. And phase two is essentially called methylation. Yeah. And on the Dutch test, this methylation relies on our COMT enzyme. It's part of our methylation pathways. It's one of the, like we have multiple pathways for methylation. This is one of them. Now I will say the Dutch test is very specific to the COMT estrogen methylation. So the Dutch test is not a good like overall methylation test, right? Okay, yes. So I I want people to remember that too.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And if we can't methylate our estrogens, these estrogens are just going straight back into the system to be circulated again. So that's the other thing that we want to be aware of, right? Like if our phase two is not allowing that estrogen to get out, if we're working all sorts of stuff on phase one, but phase two is not open, yes. that can also be problematic. Yes. Right. So it, it is a whole picture when we're looking at this, right? Like we don't want to treat it and just like, Oh, we're just going to treat the 4OH here in phase one. Yeah. We need to look at the whole picture, not just, not just that 4OH.
0: And, um, I just, <laughs> I just want to note, uh, cause I think this is really important because I hear this on occasion. Oh well I have no digestive issues but I don't poop every day. So one of the ways to yeah. help, right? It's it's one of the, a very important way to not keep recycling that estrogen, right? Go to the bathroom yeah. every day. Yep. If you're Cook. not, work yeah, with somebody to help you do it, not by yeah. taking laxatives or anything like that, but you know, figure it yeah. out.
1: Like truly functionally healthy.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to see digestion. Digestion comes into play in everything. So, you
1: know, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like when we're looking at the Dutch test and estrogen metabolism, Dutch is really great for phase one and phase two metabolism. What we want to remember is estrogen metabolism is three phases. And that third phase is in the stool, right? Like once it goes out of the liver, it goes into the stool. So, we don't, it's not right again. Like it's not just that picture of the Dutch test, right? Like we do want to take into consideration what's happening in your stool. Do we need to do stool testing? Do we need to look at digestion for that completion? Right. Because if we're not pooping out the estrogens, as you said, they're just getting recirculated, whether that's happening in phase one, phase two, or phase three.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So What does – maybe we can move on to this 5A reductase because we talked about um, detoxification phase one, phase two. We talked about the estrogens. We got the cortisol. We got the androgens. Um, Maybe we'll we'll go with the – talk about this and then start talking about the other things, the Dutch – like methyl donors. It's going to tell you – where you sit with that. Mm -hmm. So 5A reductase activity. Why is this so important?
1: Yeah. So a lot of times when we think of 5-alpha, we think of androgens. So when we have our androgens going down their little pathway, doing what they're supposed to do, they can go down either an alpha pathway or a beta pathway. And so when we think of the alpha pathway, this is the more potent pathway and the beta pathway is the less potent pathway. So when we think of androgens, testosterone, for example, testosterone is going to break down into either some alpha metabolites or beta metabolites, right? You're going to have some in the alpha, some in the beta. This will depend. Now, inflammation and blood sugar can affect these, but also genetics. If you have more alpha activity and you have your normal testosterone, but you're shunting a lot down the alpha pathway, this can actually potentize that testosterone effect for you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going down the beta pathway, it can soften that testosterone effect for you. So that's where the 5-alpha reductase activity comes into play. That's the main enzyme that helps, you know, funnel that down the alpha pathway but if you're more of an alpha metabolizer you have a higher alpha preference you're likely going to have higher potency potency in these hormone metabolites
0: yeah like some of the things that you might have are you know facial hair maybe a little mm-hmm.
1: bit more maybe a little more
0: aggressive assertive like irritable irritable uh-huh. you want to be in the middle
1: you know balance yes. is
0: everything yeah right
1: yeah. And I've heard people say, Ooh, the five alpha is bad. And I, I don't ever like to paint a picture of yeah. that being bad, right? Because for the person that has lower testosterone, but really activates to alpha, they might feel great with that and they may not have symptoms. But for the person that's really sensitive to that alpha metabolism and they start to lose um, scalp hair, they start to get the facial hair, they start to get the facial acne, they get that irritability. That's where it's going to be about a balance for them. So it's really all about the balance.
0: And typically, it it kind of goes more to the five A, the alpha, um, in cases like PCOS and things like that, that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and and I and I do want to say too, just because you're going that way, if you're working with a really good physician, like a naturopath doctor. Things can be shifted. So don't think that just because you see that, that, oh my God, you know, I'll never, I'll never be normal. There's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just want to always note that. Okay. So we talked about, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but actually, no, I'm kind of not because now there's some extra stuff that the Dutch test will show you. And we did talk about methylation. We didn't really Mm -hmm. explain what methylation is. Maybe if you want to give that a definition, and then we can talk about some of the methyl donors that it
1: tests. Yeah, yeah. So um, when we're talking about estrogen metabolism, that methylation is that phase two metabolism. And when we're talking about metabolism in general, the major ways that our body metabolizes things is through methylation, through sulfation, or glucuronidation. And so I I feel like a lot of us have kind of been on the train because there's there's a lot of information out there about methylation, right? So when we're talking about methylation, it makes sense, right? You know, part of the Dutch test is looking at methylation. And if your body, like your body can have high methylation, it can have low methylation, it may be totally where it's supposed to be depending on the multiple methylation pathways that your body is using. Now, when we're looking at methylation, like if you have low methylation on the Dutch test, that tells us that your phase two is not as good as it could be. Meaning your methylation for your students is not as good as it could be. And when we're looking at that, that means you may need some key players to help your body methylate. Now, some of those are vitamins that just help the pathway do what, they're, do what it's supposed to do.
0: Yeah
1: the other part of that are methyl donors that are going to be important to help that methylation pathway complete its circle. Mm -hmm. And so there, you know, when Dutch first came out, it was like, well, maybe, you know, like, as we're talking to providers, well, maybe you should test your B12. Maybe you should test your B6. Maybe we should, you know, like, maybe we should add these things. And it was finally like, well, if we're saying that we should test these, we should also put it on the Dutch test, right? Because it's all going to be related. (laughs) Um, So we ended up putting a B12 marker on there, which is called MMA, also known as methylmalonate. And this is very specific. So it's an inverse marker, meaning if you're in range, you have good levels of B12, if you're above range, your body needs more B12 support. And a lot of times we're looking at that methylmalonate, the adenosyl form of B12. So this is where we're looking at different forms of B12 that can influence how your body is methylating. So there are a couple different forms of B12. There's adenosyl B12, there's hydroxy B12, there's cyano B12, and there's methyl hydroxy adenosyl hydroxy. All four of those guys, yeah. Um, the, the cyano form of B12 is not hugely helpful, the body doesn't break that down very well with MTHFR. I know that a lot of people know about MTHFR, yes. I will say MTHFR is different than COMT, right? Like, they're different genetic. Nips, or there are different genetic genes and enzymes that do different things with methylation. Now, that doesn't mean that B12 is only used for MTHFR. It's only used for COMT. It can be used in both ways to methylate. But on the Dutch test, we are talking more specifically about that COMT.
0: Mm, And so
1: we do add that B12 marker on there to complement that information for detoxification, and overall estrogen detox, like methylation.
0: Yes. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to s- ask you, you, you mentioned that if you're hot, cause I know I've seen this, it gets confusing because if you're, you know, if you're right on kind oh, like of target, that. then that's good.
1: But if you're high, that could actually ma- indicate that you're actually low. What? Like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Yeah. So the reason why that happens is methylmalonate ends up, your body needs B12 to process methylmalonate. When it doesn't have B12, methylmalonate just starts to build up and build up and build up in the system. So you need the B12 to help that methylmalonate get out of the system to be able to do what it needs to do. And so this is the consequence of not having enough B12 to get rid of that methylmalonate.
0: And then you mentioned um, individuals with the MTHFR, like they're the ones that absolutely must take a methylated form of B, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like if they mm-hmm. were to take the synthetic form of, let's say they start taking a B-complex formula, a know. Mm-hmm. then it could actually be dangerous for them, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah, I look at MTHFR as like a lock and key mechanism. And if your lock is broken because you don't have the methyl B12, you're not going to get that cellular activity that you need. Right. And so that can result in some significant um, problems for some people. It depends on how their genes are expressing. Yes. Um, but yes, it can actually cause. Further issues for some people. So, this is why I always say, people, don't go and buy your supplements at Costco or Walmart, please. I know. I know. know what you're buying. I and know. as much as I know marketing is a fierce campaign, but know what you're purchasing yes. and putting into your body. Yes.
0: Yes. I agree. Yeah. And I always say, third party <laughs> testing, third party testing, therapeutic grade yes. supplements. Yes. Like, I mean, it's it just know what you're doing. So, um, yes. I, we're almost at an hour. So I want to hit. It will still test. Um, also, melatonin, dopamine, yes, neurotransmitters. Yes. Maybe give me a quick little rundown of that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we do some like a little smattering of some organic acids, and these are all related to things relevant to Dutch. Right. So we have some B6 markers that look at, you know, are you deficient in B6, but also some of the things that come out of that B6 are, is there inflammation that we should be aware of, right? Because some of these markers can be indicative of inflammation. And we're talking about inflammation. We're talking about how well your body is able to detox, how your energy is, right? Like, is that a stressor for your body? Um, We do look at pyroglutamate, which is about glutathione, right? So glutathione is a very powerful antioxidant and it helps detox the bad things, right? Like get rid of those toxins, glutathione and melatonin, right? Melatonin is also a very powerful antioxidant. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we, we don't think of melatonin as an antioxidant. Um, a lot of times we think of melatonin as that, you know, marriage with cortisol. Right, cortisol is your daytime hormone, melatonin is your nighttime hormone. So we do want to see the balance of how well your body is signaling cortisol. Right cortisol is supposed to pass the baton to melatonin, and melatonin is supposed to take over for a good night's sleep. Yes. But it is also another powerful antioxidant as well. Um, some neurotransmitter markers like dopamine and epinephrine or norepinephrine. So I don't like to look at dopamine and epinephrine, norepinephrine just by themselves. I like to look at it in combination with your cortisol picture, because when we're looking at cortisol versus these neurotransmitter metabolites, these so dopamine and epinephrine, norepinephrine are that immediate response to stress. That's where you're going to get that immediate adrenaline rush. Cortisol comes in 10 minutes later to help support that stress response. So they're going to be related in how your body's responding to stress, right? Like, can you initiate that stress response? Can you maintain that stress response? What does that look like? But dopamine can also make a big difference in how you feel, right? Like, are you happy? Are you having cravings? How is your energy, right? Like dopamine is stimulating. Do you have the energy? Do you have the the capacity to do all of that stuff with your dopamine and your epinephrine or epinephrine. So, those are also important when looking at your stress response and energy. Um, we also have a couple of new markers. We have the long word beta hydroxy isovalerate, it's about biotin levels, right? So, just looking at um, nutrient support for like hair growth, skin, yes, that kind of metabolism. Um, we have indican, which is a marker for gut dysbiosis. Um, everybody makes indican, but when it starts to elevate, uh, that tells us that there's probably something going on with the gut. Now, it's not the only indicator for gut dysbiosis, but it can be a complementary marker. It's not a diagnosis; it just lets us know we need to do a little bit more work. And the reason why that is relevant is again inflammation stress on the body, but also estrogen detox, right? Yes. So we've been able to see some correlations with poor estrogen detox and higher levels of endocan. So those are related. Um, the uh, the last marker in there is, nope, we have two more. We also have quinolinate, which is a newer marker. This is a neuroinflammatory marker. So when we think of neuroinflammation, things like brain nerves, that kind of stuff. So if this marker is elevated that tells us there's there's inflammation that needs addressed right like how is brain fog what's happening with memory what's going on with that? Have you had any kind of um, traumatic brain injuries, concussions, anything there?
0: Yeah.
1: And then our very last marker on that is the eight hydroxy marker or the 8OHdG marker. This is very specific to oxidative stress in general. Yes. when we think of oxidative stress we want to think of DNA damage cellular destruction where our cells can't heal. Our cells can't function appropriately. So that's a, a pretty important marker. I think, you know, when we're looking at stress on the body and how we're able to heal and how old or capable are our cells to be able to regenerate and do what they need to do on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, you definitely get so much information with the dutch when were those i i know the um the oxidative stress that's been on there for a while it's
1: been on for a while yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. I, i'm not sure about the in, did you say indican indican indican
1: mm-hmm. yeah, so our, new, our three new markers would be the beta hydroxy isovalerate long word <laughs> indican and quinolinate, these three guys yeah. were added in July. Yeah. So they are still pretty new. Um, but it was just kind of, you know, just continuing the efforts of like what are the things that are dutch relevant that can help in evaluating this case.
0: Awesome. I yeah. loved. I f- I could sit here and geek out on the dutch <laughs> dust <laughs> like forever, but I think we covered mostly everything. Is there anything that we
1: didn't cover that you want to cover? Debbie? I was going to say the only additional thing I would say is for progesterone and progesterone metabolites. Um, the reason why we think those can be helpful is because the alpha metabolite of progesterone is the one that stimulates the GABA response in the brain. And so we like to know, right? Like, what is that balance for how your body is metabolizing progesterone? And if we do offer progesterone support more in the oral or sublingual form, we'll know how much that alpha response is going to happen because that alpha um, goes through the blood-brain barrier to stimulate that GABA response.
0: Ah, that's really important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm going to ask you one last question because I just thought of this. I'm like, I just thought of this. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, favorite and and again. This is something to take to your own medical practitioner. But maybe tell me what's your favorite supplements for uh, a menopausal woman. And this is totally just like on the fly. A menopausal woman who's starting to have estrogen decline, maybe still not one year of no period. um, And I'm speaking about myself, of course. Right. (laughs) Right. So I know what I take, but I would love to hear what you would say. Like, I'm not ready to go on estrogen yet,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. but I also well, want to support it. So like, what do you like for that?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the things that I will say is our adrenal glands become our second ovaries. Yeah, So when our ovaries have retired, right? Like they're gone, they're at the beach, they've taken their Corona's, they're, they're yeah. done. Um, our adrenal health is going to be a huge influencer on how well we can transition into menopause. So, I think it's great to have a baseline understanding of what your adrenal demand is so that we can also support that. So when I look at that, I want to know how is your stress? What's happening with your stress? What's it, what's your history with that? And how have your periods been previously, right? Like how has your cycle, has it been pretty normal? What are the struggles that you've had? And so in general, I would want to look at appropriate stress support. Yes. And a lot of times this also has to do with all of the foundational things that we know, right? Like we know this, right? Like getting good sleep, moving, moving your buns every day. Um, having stable blood sugar throughout the day. Um, and, uh, I think good emotional support, right? Like having a good emotional support network is going to be important outside of that when we're looking at supplemental support, any, anything to support your HPA access, right? So how your brain is speaking to your adrenal glands. Um, Some people need more, some people need less. It depends on if you need stimulating versus calming. So that would be case by case, but looking at that HPA response and how that can be stabilized for you. And then in general, you know, depending on where you're at in cycling, I do feel like Chase Tree can be very helpful. It does signal to support progesterone response, but it, if your ovaries are kind of over it, the, the chase tree is not going to be listened to, right? Like your ovaries are like, yeah, I don't, nope, not going to do that anymore. So then we right. start to look at things like maca. We start to look at things. I'm like taking Stelaria. maca. Yes. Yeah. Um, stellaria tribulus, like those are some really nice herbs just to help with estrogen support right yes. now. Those are probably some of my more go-to herbs that I like.
0: Yeah. I like that too. And then for progesterone, I personally have chosen the root of uh, bioidentical
1: because I needed yeah. it.
0: I needed it and yeah. I wanted it and it helps me sleep.
1: Yep. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of progesterone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I hear you. Yeah.
0: I, I think it's important. And then, and then for stress, you know, I, I also know what type of personality I am naturally. yeah, And yeah, which, I know myself. Yeah, so for me, I take both ashwagandha and rhodiola. And um, because there are times, you know, like there's the stressed and tired, the stressed and wired. And I think with exactly. us women, we can kind of hit both depending on what's going on with our lives, right?
1: Well, it depends on where you're at in your stress response, too. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Like, um, and I also talk about like how full your bank is of cortisol, right? Like, were you born with this much cortisol or were you born with this much cortisol? Yeah. And how has your body used that in your life? And are you one of those people that has always been, you know, like type a go, 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 or are you the kind of person that's like, no, I, you know, 10 hours of sleep a night. I'm going to go, you know, at a good, you know, slow pace because I can't do that. So it's also kind of, you know, looking at that personality and, and kind of how okay. your body has dealt with stress.
0: Hundred percent. Well, thank yeah. you so much. Tell tell our listeners where can we, you know, find out more about the Dutch test.
1: Yeah, so you can certainly go to DutchTest.com. We have a website that has all sorts of information, webinars, videos, resources. Um, we do have Dutch Test on Instagram. Um, those are probably the and Facebook. Um, So those are probably the biggest hitters to be able to find. But the website is also going to have a lot of like if you're really trying to dig into a little bit more information, um, you can you can certainly find support there, too. Perfect. Thank you so much.
0: I loved our conversation and it was so nice to meet you. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you.
1: Of course. I can't I can't wait for next time.
0: join me next week where I cover off more exciting topics. I hope to continue to engage you and excite you and show you that living in your 40s, 50s and beyond can be exciting, balanced and helpful. Bye for now.